April 2020, just as the global pandemic was kicking off, Lawrence and I started recording our weekly Friday Firesides. These are conversations broadcast live over the Crowdcast platform and joined by people all over the world who listen in and share their thoughts with us via the chat. We started these live recordings as an opportunity to keep in touch with our members, as well as process what it meant to run a business during a pandemic. Since then, we've broadcast nearly every single Friday and built up a library of over 100 episodes. We cover a range of different topics from money to meaning, pricing to purpose, vision to vulnerability, entrepreneurship to empathy, and product design to life design. This is our perspective of what it means to do business from the inside out, as well as the outside in. If you're a business hippie just like us, then you'll definitely find something of value here. We hope that these conversations inspire and motivate you to do work and build businesses that create meaningful change without burning out. Because like us, you're just wanting to make money, do good, and be happy. Feeling energized, excited about this conversation. Um, after a week of just... Uh, and someone told me, maybe it's to do with the lunar cycle. Because mm. I'm not sure about... Yeah, I do, I do find the darkness brings us down. But I, I'm, I'm curious about the whole kind of lunar cycle thing and how it affects people's moods. Anyway, in terms of that kind of cycles and energies and moving and how we kind of, uh, I think, be in whether it's life or work. Uh, I think the the interest for me in this conversation is is about our individual cycles in the way we want to sort of operate uh, and how that fits in with what I perceive a lot of the time and and being outside of like a formal organizations for the past 20 years now in terms of like Lawrence and I've been working together in one way or the other or on our, by ourselves on our own there's a, I have this perceived sense of a structure and when I was working in a business there's a structure and a pattern that um, that was set by the business and then there was my own needs for how I wanted to work and I remember very clearly at a young age just I phrased it, I wanted my hobby to be my job. And I was wondering what that meant. And and part of it was actually the joy of it. But I think there was something around it kind of fitting with the energies that I bring to the day and to the times. Um, but I, I didn't see how that worked at the time. This is, you know, good 30 years ago. Lawrence and I know each other for well, 40 years now. Ah, um, <laughs> and that was a different world, it felt, in terms of world of work. But I feel that we're stepping in... Um, in different ways into a new way of doing things. And and that's why I was really intrigued by, um, A, uh, your community, Hoxby, um, uh, that we I was introduced to by Francois Souris, who's a part of our community. And he was telling me about, he said, you got to talk to these guys. It's exactly the same stuff that you're talking about. I said, okay, cool. So I talked about <laughs> it. Uh, and now recently with the book, uh, Work Style, um, I feel there's uh, – even more of a reason to talk to you. So before we jump into that, I think uh, what would be useful for those of our community and the people who are uh, listening in now is maybe to give a kind of a brief history of yourselves, maybe, and then maybe talk a bit more about the the work you do at the moment. Okay, thank you, Carlos. I, I think it's probably sensible to just start by explaining work style in, in very simple terms. This is the name of the book and the and importantly, the word that Lizzie and I created back in 2014 as a word to give us a language to describe our own preference of when and where we work. So having a work style means having freedom to decide when and where you work for yourself. And that, we think, is an incredibly important word. It's not just a word we came up with in the pub one night, though that's exactly where we did come up with it. Um, (laughs) But it's a word that's increasingly important now that we can Broadly, a lot of our work can be done from anywhere and any time. Um, so we need to shift our mindsets away from traditional uh, industrial age, nine to five, Monday to Friday type thinking and into uh, anywhere, anytime. And work style is the word that we created to help us do that. But that conversation in the pub where we came up with that is kind of, I think, worth us talking about in terms of our, our history and how we kind of came to this point. So uh, it was a cold December night in 2014 and Lizzie and I had two for one cocktails uh, because we (laughs) were classy like that. Um, But 
we were having a chat about how we were feeling about work at that point. And um, for me, I'd already reached burnout by then and realised that I needed to have a, uh, a pretty major rethink about my life and, and my work. So prior to that point, I would wake up at half past five. I'd leave the house at half past six to get to the office for half past seven. And I would get home 12 hours later. Uh, and I would do that every day, uh, five days a week on the basis that I couldn't physically give any more than that. Um, and I was giving everything I had every day. And as I say to my four-year-old son on a boringly regular basis, the faster you run, the more it hurts when you hit the wall. And in all honesty, I hit the wall eventually at that point. Um, and I became ambivalent to our successes, numb to our challenges, our problems, and really just fell out of love with work. And I'd reached burnout fully, but didn't really realise that until my wife, Sarah, told me that I'd become a shadow of my former self. And so we decided to take a week off, some holiday, rest and recuperation to see if that would help. And we went to Spain for a friend's wedding. But I can't tell you much more than that about that holiday um, because I wasn't really present enough to be forming any memories of it. And that was the thing that kind of made me realise when we got back that time away, time off, wasn't going to fix this problem. Uh, I needed to try and resolve it in my head. Um, I needed a new psychological relationship with work. And so that's when I decided to stop thinking about my work value in terms of how many hours I was doing and start thinking about it in terms of what I was outputting and the impact of that output. And that was the kind of big overriding thought that I took to the pub table that night to share with Lizzie, which was about being judged by output rather than by input and wanting to change the way I work to be more like that. So my my background is slightly different. Um, less about mental health and more about having a family was the catalyst for me. Um, for me, it was when I had my first child, my son Finn, that I think my eyes were properly opened to enduring inequalities at work. And I'm kind of embarrassed about that because actually until then I'd I'd really been quite ignorant about the number of people who are being excluded from work because of traditional structures and and this was in 2014 that Alex and I had that conversation so things have changed a lot even since then and kind of suddenly I wasn't willing to be working during Finn's waking hours I wanted to be working during nap times or evenings and in particular, I had this common thing with Alex that kind of led to the meeting of minds, which was I wanted to be judged on my output rather than being in an office at the times that traditional work expected me to be, um, which made me very angry. <laughs> I went through a phase of anger. So Alex and I came up with the word work style in the pub. We decided we should do something about it. We started Hoxby as a prototype organization to do that. And then two years after that, I had some serious complications in my pregnancy with my twin daughters, Zoe and Megan. And that meant that I had to have surgery at 23 weeks, followed by nine weeks of bed rest. And being able to work from bed during those nine weeks with only a very few people knowing about my personal circumstances was a complete lifeline for me. It was a welcome distraction, but it was also just a world to escape into where I felt valuable and I connected with my purpose and as well as other people during what were actually really long anxiety-ridden days on my own. And we were incredibly lucky that both my daughters survived against the odds. And the day we brought them home from hospital and couldn't fit the double pram through the front door of our London flat, we decided to move across the country to Bristol. And I was able to do that without any disruption to my career, which I felt very privileged for. And I, I still feel privileged for that, but I also feel like everyone should have access to that. We shouldn't have to feel privileged for it. So fast forward to 2020 and out of the blue, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, which, as you can imagine, turned my world completely upside down as a seemingly healthy 38-year-old. 
Um, and again, work style was my savior, you know, whether it was helping to pass the time in the chemotherapy chair or helping the cancer diagnosis not to define me or just not to fill my head, which I was so determined that it wouldn't. And since then, almost unbelievably, my husband has been diagnosed with cancer. Um, so I have a whole host of reasons why work style is deeply personal for me. But now my work style is, is fitting my work around supporting him through his treatment, trying to stay healthy myself and manage the side effects of my medication and looking after three small children. So as origin stories go, it's quite a long one. Um, mm. But suffice to say that for us, this is not just our work. This is our our purpose. And we are profoundly connected to what we're doing through Workstyle. There's so much to work with there in terms of like different paths we can go down in terms of conversations. Well, I was thinking about before when you were talking about this catalyst almost for you you guys individually changing the way you want to work well certainly knowing that something wasn't wasn't right was when we started the agency me and carlos back in 2004 i think it was wasn't it around then we were lucky that far, fast forward five years or so we both had kids around the same same stage and you know if one of us hadn't decided to go down that route um or got married at the same time then we maybe would have had different ambitions for the, the business but luckily we both almost without even saying it out loud i think it just kind of happened that we both just kept the business afloat for a few years while our kids were young and managed to go home at lunchtime or to go and do the things that needed doing um but we didn't really grow the business much in that in that period and that's one thing that i'm very grateful for that that time as they will say you don't get it back to you that those first few years and you lizzie saying that you didn't want to compromise on that and that's something you can never you can get more money over time but you can never get that time back so that's one thing i'm grateful for um but yeah, like you said, Carlos, fast forward 10 years, then needs change. And I think that's the thing we've learned is the reason you start a company might change over time. And so um, maybe you're doing less of the work you love doing, or maybe you want more or something different from, from work. And so, again, we were very lucky that we both got to a similar point in our journey where we were also thinking about the same sort of things about what was important to us, but also not wanting to compromise on home and family life too and how building that into the business and work is is always a challenge i think what brings coming to mind is uh, a way of thinking i had in the past of there's work life separation uh, there's i turn up to work i do my work life happens and i do life outside of work and i found that difficult because the energy i bring to my work is very dependent on what's happening uh, uh, in the rest of my life and if should shit happen in my life, not having a, a a workplace that's understanding or a way of working that can flex with that creates so much tension, so much difficulty, and uh, and makes anything that's happening outside of work even harder from my perspective. And Carlos, yeah. I would add that shit happens in everyone's life. Mm. Like, you know, Alex and I have talked about this a lot over the last eight years, that we've yet to meet someone who doesn't have some shit in their lives you know if nothing else we've all just lived through a global pandemic you know and so i think that's not unique to a small group of people that's actually everyone who has varying types of shit going on but you that is as andy says it's a normal you know and that's why we think we need to fundamentally reshape work around it. exactly and, and it is that model i feel uh, like oh the way i perceive it some people have this mechanistic mm -hmm perspective of how, how business is it's like input output a machine it works at a very rigid uh, in a very rigid way and what i'm understanding from your work and what you're trying to to champion is that this machine is actually full of human beings with yeah lives <laughs> where shit goes on and so to suddenly say oh and we have a, a one of one of our communities, Serena Savini, who who has this podcast about coming back from a life changing experience, coming back to work. When you don't have a workplace that is able to appreciate that, understand that, work with that, how much pain that causes for the human being experiencing that? And then what does that mean for organizations who are losing the diversity of talent and experience and knowledge and creativity? Because they don't, this person doesn't fit into the machine. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about how life is really important and work should fit around it. Um, but we are conditioned to think that 
life just has to fit around work because it's a it's a the nine to five Monday to Friday construct is an immutable reality. It's fixed. It can't be changed. But actually, it can be. To go back to lunar cycles, is one of, that's probably one of the last remaining truths about the, the planet, <laughs> which, you know, we have a moon and the sun. All the other stuff is human, is human construct. You know, the working week, the nine to five, they're things that we've created to navigate uh, the world and find the best ways of collaborating. Um, but we also have to be open to the idea that they can change. <laughs> and as people, we have the agency to change it and make it what we want it to be. So why not make it such that work fits around life? Uh, now that we can, now that we can work from anywhere at any time, let's change it because we know that, that that helps people to deal with those changing circumstances or their personal situation. And that control to deal with those things, that autonomy is what we know improves individual well-being and we know it improves productivity and <clears throat> the research that we've conducted within Hoxby over the last four years supports that argument and that's what we're saying in the book as well which is if you can enable people to have autonomy to decide when and where they work for themselves then you can get an increased state of well-being and increased productivity as a result but more than that you've got people who are able to fit their work around their life and that's just better for everyone. We ha live in a world that is really different from the one Sir Robert Owen lived in 207 years ago when he came up with the concept of the eight-hour working day. So much has evolved since then. It's such a different world. And we need to recognise that we've invented electricity, electricity, let alone the internet, <laughs> portable yeah. hardware, you know, prevalence of Wi-Fi. And and truly reflect on whether the way that we're working is fit for the digital age we live in rather than and, and I know that you know the happy startup community is preaching to the converted on this but you know the fact is we can work from wherever and whenever we want as long as there's a space for our laptop if we work in a trust-based environment um because it, it means that we can be defined by our output rather than where we're going to work and so I think for us the the technology side is really important, but also attitudes to work are fundamentally changing. More and more people are changing their perspective that actually we can choose how we earn a living. And again, I know that this community is one that really believes in this, but we are trading that idea of a job for life, even for those of us who started in more corporate traditional careers, for self-employment, portfolio careers. And, and that means a fundamentally different engagement and relationship with work. So we can go, it feels like there's, there's a, we can go a bit deeper here in terms of what does it mean? What does work mean to us these days uh, and as, as people and what, what is it we're trying to get out of work other than just a paycheck? And then there's this other aspect I'm curious about in terms of, yes, we are uh, in an age that facilitates more, a different way of working how what does that how does that work what is it that we need to think about what what how do we create organizations that are designed to cater for individual needs around work and how how we want to fit them around their life so maybe we start off with that and then we can maybe dive a bit deeper well i think that's that that second point is kind of why we wrote the book uh work style so in 2014 we came up with the word and we've been testing the concept within Hoxby ever since. So the book is the sum of eight years of experience in running an organisation whereby everyone has complete autonomy. And it's also the last four years of research into the relationship between autonomy, well-being and productivity. So in terms of trying to shift mindsets, which we think is the fundamental, fundamentally biggest challenge and why we wrote the book in the first place, Shifting mindsets away from industrial age paradigm and into new digital age reality that we now live and work in is the thing that we are most trying to achieve with the book and through uh, the consultancy side of what we do at Hoxby is helping organisations to do that. And there are three things that we learnt very early on uh, in starting Hoxby, which is that organisations need to be digital first, asynchronous and trust-based. 
And uh, Lizzie talked about being trust-based earlier on. And what we mean by by that is trust-based rather than presence-based. So trust someone to deliver an output rather than relying on seeing them at a desk to trust that they're working. And, and I say that often we're not at a desk, are we, Alex? Like, no, quite. you know, I talked yeah. about working from bed. I work from crouching on a train platform. I regularly work from the hairdresser. Um, you know, now my hair's grown back after chemo. Um, and w- for us, like, I feel really passionately that I am as dedicated to my career as anyone is. Don't judge me on whether I'm working from the hairdresser. <laughs> the other, the other two things, so asynchronous and, and digital first. So, um, being asynchronous rather than synchronous means moving away from the assumption that we have to be working together at the same time in order to work together, which is something that, you know, we're, we've had 200 years of human conditioning to learn how to do. It's difficult to let go of, but when we can shift to asynchronous as the default and still have synchronous conversations, they get me wrong, but shift to asynchronous as the default, suddenly we can work more, more independently with more autonomy and with more people around the world. So that's really important. And being digital first rather than physical first. So rather than assuming we all have to commute to shared buildings in order to collaborate, let's just accept that even when we're in those buildings, most of our collaboration happens online. So we don't actually need to be in those buildings. We don't need to be thinking about ourselves as collaborating in person, physical first, but actually digitally first. And then let's save those moments of in-person collaboration for deeper connection and for specifically chosen moments where it's of the most value to do that elon musk comes to mind <sighs> no. um, you, might, you must have must seen the announcement <laughs> that he wants everyone back in the office and minimum 40 hour week so i'm curious to know say when you're starting out like we've done and we help people start out business you start out with a good intention but then maybe the fear comes in for for whatever reason in terms of revenues drop or Productivity goes down, and so someone comes in like him and probably thinks, well, what we need to do is get everyone back in the office working harder mm. together. Yeah, I think, I think. can I just speak to the, the context for this first and foremost, which is that I think a lot of organizations took on remote working methodologies during the pandemic because they had to, not necessarily because it was part of a strategic conscious choice for how to best operate that business. They took it on because they had to. And now, post-pandemic, perceptions have changed among the workforce and companies and the way that they're run fundamentally are at odds with each other at the moment. So people want more autonomy and flexibility. Companies want to retain as much control as possible because that's how they know how to operate. So they're kind of meeting in the middle with some sort of compromise, most of which looks like hybrid. So what you end up with is a compromise. And then from that position of compromise, when things don't work, or things don't go as well as you want them to, leadership has a decision to make and it will invariably defer to the position of comfort or uh, previous success. So it's okay, well, this hasn't worked. Now we've got a good reason to all get back in the office. Rather than shifting to a more proactive strategy, which says, actually, this is really great for our business. If we can make autonomous work work or remote work work, we can see how it's better for individual well-being and collective productivity. So this is a, a something we're going to commit to doing for the longer term. I think that's the big difference. And the big thing that companies are sort of wrestling with now is what is our proactive strategy, our way of working into the future that we are going to be working towards and trying to get to rather than how are we going to navigate back to the way we used to do things before COVID. And I think that's partly about competitive advantage. Like I think there's, for Alex and I, as you can tell, the real driver behind this is about well-being and about society. But the way that you work as an organisation is a source of competitive advantage if you get it right. And there are too many leaders who aren't recognising that. They're seeing the way that you work as being only on the HR agenda and not being something that is central to business success. And I think one thing that Alex and I are passionate about is cognitive diversity. There are groups who are fundamentally being excluded from work. And we talk about seven different groups who are fundamentally excluded. Older workers, carers, um, those with chronic illness, living with physical disabilities, mental health challenges, parents, because school hours completely don't align with working hours for the most part, and people who are neurodivergent. Those seven groups, forget all the 
discrimination that's also happening at work, those seven groups simply can't engage with work. And what's interesting is not only should we socially bring those people into work, if we're socially responsible, we should want to allow those people to work. There are some massive gaps between the people who want to work in those groups and who who do. So for instance, 77% of people with autism want to work, but only 26% do. That's a 51% gap of many of them exceptionally talented people that want to work but can't because of the structure of the way that we work. But also, if we can bring more diverse people into work, firstly, it will address the UK labour market shortages. Um, but also, we will be better businesses because we'll come up with more, we'll be more collectively intelligent, we'll come up with better solutions. So for us, this is a really virtuous cycle. I would love a chat with Elon Musk. Go back to the Elon mm -hmm. Musk conversation. I want to have that chat with him. I don't doubt he wouldn't listen to a word I say. But I think the thing that's scary for Alex and I, and the reason that this is time, it's timely for us publishing the book now is it felt like individuals went through an enlightenment during the pandemic. And now what it feels like is with the recession here, businesses are going the opposite direction and starting to pull people back into the office and contract into um, traditional ways of working all over again. The tension that I'm sort of exploring or thinking about at the moment is this balance between purpose and profit, um, trust and fear, uh, speed and, well, the speed of human beings, you know, the speed of business, technology and markets and the speed of a person, just a human being going through life. And so I, I'm curious, look, and I'll connect it to the Elon Musk thing because I've been watching a lot of documentaries about him. He's a fascinating alien. Um, but this real intensity, this real need to make things happen, the real push, this kind of like the way it's portrayed, this superhuman, psychopathic, workaholic mentality because he's driven by something. And so he's on a time stable that doesn't fit a lot of people if they're going to have any kind of normal or any life outside of work. So there's this business imperative that leaders may have, they seem, and where that's coming from. And then there's this, uh, what I'm hearing from both of you, this also this social imperative, of like actually what does it mean for the people within the organisation? Actually, one thing I'll add is the BrewDog uh, story comes to mind with that as well, because I saw James Watt, the founder, he's had a lot of stick over the last couple of years about the culture in the company. But one thing he talked about was how basically um, he's, he was on a growth path and he, his defence for the way he treated people in the company was well if you don't like it don't don't stay around like we're on this path this is what it takes to work in this way and so like with elon musk it's almost like well don't come and work for us then which is again like you yeah. said with those groups at the very least never mind people who don't value that work style mm. a very narrow view of the kinds of people you have in your organization so it speaks volumes for the culture i think as and and how you choose to lead your organization and what you choose to prioritize very much sets the tone for how you're going to go about achieving your goal. Whether you achieve your goal or not is kind of secondary to that. I think for us, uh, Lizzie and I set our purpose at Hoxby to, to create a happier, more fulfilled society for a world of work without bias. And we set that on day one and it hasn't changed. Um, everything that we do within the business is, is every decision we make is based around that. Is it going to help us? to create a happier, more fulfilled society through a world of work without bias. And if the answer is no, then we won't do it. And by trying to pioneer work style within the Hoxby uh, as an organisation, all of the work that we do, so whether that work is in the creation of uh, campaigns or uh, design studio or press office stuff, which is, makes up the bulk of the work we've done over the last year, uh, eight years or so, whether it's that, in the way we do that or what we learn from that to make us better at autonomous work that we can then pass on to our clients and the rest of the world who want to know more about working with autonomy, which is basically the other half of our business, the consultancy side of our business. Everything we're doing is in pursuit of creating this world of work without bias that, that we've aspired to create from the outset. And we wanted to do, we wanted to change the world within five years when we started Oxford. It didn't happen. Oh, how ignorant um, we were. <laughs> but, but the pandemic happened. 
And that changed a lot uh, for us, but it meant we were ready uh, for when that pandemic hit, the way that the organization was structured to have autonomy and the the work that we did was all was all in place such that we were able to continue business as usual right the way through the pandemic. And in fact, we we grew faster during the pandemic than at any other time. So I think my learning from that as a leader would be have your your purpose and the way that you work and the decisions that you make in pursuit of that purpose determine the culture and how it feels to be on that journey. And when you reach success eventually, then you'll know you've reached it in the way that you set out to uh, from from the outset and and how you treat people along the way speaks to the type of leader that you are. And I, I would add as well that this this has been a big experiment at Hoxby. It hasn't been an easy journey. You know, if it was easy to work this way, everyone would have been doing it 10 years ago. But whenever we've been, had a tough decision to make, been at a crossroads, felt like there was an impasse, Alex has been amazing at always bringing us back to that purpose. And it always makes the decisions for us. It always guides us. It gives us something that we can anchor everything in. And I think emotionally, as well as culturally for our organization, I think for the two of us as leaders, that's been amazing as well, because it's been something consistent and it's been a real help to us in making decisions that are are right, I think, for what we wanted Hoxby to be. So what's springing up to me is this this idea you're talking about work style revolution and so this kind of also revolutionary approach to thinking about business. Um, there's this idea of making money. And then what I'm hearing is making a movement and you know, people talk about bringing, you know, what's your purpose? What's the business's purpose from our perspective of the happy startup school. We talk a lot about um, working from the inside out and there's, there's a set of, it isn't something that you come up in a boardroom of like, oh, okay, this is our purpose. It's like both of you, well, I guess that you're feeling, living, these are needs that you have. These are things that are personal to you that you're now turning into or articulating in a way to gather people around you. Yeah. And there's that need to change the world because you need it to change for yourself. And then through that message, it sounds like you people have been attracted to that. And that's been part of the business success in inverted commas. I think so. And, and our community, the Hoxby community, is not ancillary to the business. It is the essence of what Hoxby is. It's how we deliver all the work that we deliver for clients like Unilever, Merck, AIA, Amazon. So it is the fundamental of the business. But more than that, when we talk about what is success, I think for Alex and I, the most profound moments of success are the individual stories we hear about how we have transformed just one person's life. Or, or a couple of people's lives. You know, we had a we have an annual meetup, um, not to do work, but just to have fun and connect each year. And someone came up to me at that and said, I, I just wanted you to know that if it wasn't for Hoxby and working in a work style way, I simply wouldn't be able to work. And it for me, that is success. Like forget turnover or, you know, growth or any of that. Like that is what we're here for. We're here just, if we can just change a few people's lives for the better, then that's what we're here for. And that, I think when you work for yourself as well, it's not only about self-management, it's about self-motivation and it's about no one giving you an end of year review and being able to be okay with that. And I think those little conversations like that are the things that massively spur Alex and I on. It's absolutely that. And for me, if I think back to what you were saying before, Carlos and and talking about falling out of love with work I think one of the reasons that I fell out with work and went through burnout was because I didn't have a clear enough understanding of why I was doing it I was focusing a lot more on what I was doing the number of hours I was doing rather than the purpose of that work what was that achieving in the world what was what was I bringing uh, for all that effort what did I have to show for it what was my impact and I think that's where having you know a sense of purpose that aligns with the the business that you're running and that meaning something to you personally is where you can derive uh, success and happiness and and good feelings from what you're doing this is where i feel this you know, talking about this work style revolution trying to essentially start a new conversation around work for me also invites 
a new conversation around what does success mean and and if we're going to work differently we're also going to pursue success differently i assume and that's what i'm hearing from you because when one of the things we talk about a lot within our community and within the programs that we run we talk about impact what does impact mean and i think some people can think of impact has to be impact with a massive eye you know i'm going to change the world mm-hmm. in five years the world of work will be different and yeah. it can be <laughs> i have a conversation with someone and i see a shift their lives have changed that one person's life has changed because of something i've said something i've done something i've created and personally that you feel i feel that a lot more <laughs> than maybe having an idea that someone's read something out in the ether that might have made them think differently and it's a it's a curious yeah. thing for me about how our relationship to purpose and impact can kind of motivate us to do things in a certain way or to to to, to create and to step out and to, and to be to be seen because you know you guys are now saying this is this is our perspective on the world of work and and i i would yeah. believe in that we're going to stand behind it even though there may be people who would disagree yeah and and i think what we what we take from our work is really important to our sense of self and whether whether we're feeling like we're being successful to your to your point to articulate myself better perhaps i should say Hoxby and the Workstyle Revolution hasn't made me rich <laughs> financially. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work, and you know, it, it's a it's a pursuit uh, of 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 a mission and of a of a sense of purpose that is non financial. It's actually about, as Lizzie's articulated, changing individual lives, doing something that that can fundamentally improve the way people live and work is far more rewarding uh than salary alone uh it's kind of what do you take from your work as being the thing that um that gives you most satisfaction i guess that can be seen as well as your own definition of success and we live in a world that is i'm going to say driven by money but money is an important part of being able to survive and do things in this world so we need to create products and services that are of value so I'd be curious because, you know, another um, challenge that many of people in our community and the people who are, who kind of believe in the things that we believe in is like, yes, I want to do purposeful work. Yes, I want to make an uh, impact and I need to pay the bills. I need to employ people. I need to purchase services that allow me to do the work. And so I'm curious on that aspect of how how are you thinking about that aspect of talking about your work, selling your work, pricing your work, defining even what that work is, the value you're creating, so that it, I am assuming, reinforces, blends, supports the mission. Yeah, I think we one of the things we talk about a lot is about creating more work style work for more Hoxby's. So for us, there's this measure that is halfway to that vision that we're trying to create, which is that the more work style work we create for Hoxby's that they can deliver on their own work style, truly with the freedom to choose when and where they work, the more we're achieving. Um, and last year we paid Hoxby's 2.5 million pounds. So that feels good. That it's almost like that matters more than the turnover. It's the, it's the bit that we put back. Those are people being able to earn by working in their own way and fitting their work around their lives rather than the other way around. But I, I think that, the thing that Alex and I have gone, and Alex, you know, was saying earlier that when we started, we thought, right, five years, we'll just change the world. <laughs> um, and I think what we were measuring ourselves on at the time was this kind of hockey stick growth. We just thought, let's do this and then it will grow and that'll be great. And the thing that, you know, we're older and wiser now, and this goes back to what Lawrence was saying at the beginning, we've realized that this isn't just about growth. There is an element of of being of significant enough of a scale that it will feel like we've had an impact. And for instance, working with big businesses like Twitter, please, um, in order to change the way they work will have a massive impact because they that is just simply the way to impact more people. But I think for us, it's we've learned over the last eight years that actually it's a combination of factors. It's about 
being there for my husband when he has chemo and um, picking my kids up from school and also about being able to get more work style work for more Hoxby's. So I think it's it's just more nuanced rather than simply being what is the top line growth that we're looking for. A few years ago, we became a B Corp. And uh, obviously, being a B Corp is about balancing purpose and profit and, and uh, having a positive impact. And I think that's been incredibly valuable for us. Being part of that community and that movement has helped us to understand better how we can have an impact. So it's not just on how we impact the people within Hoxby community and enabling them to work in a work style way. It's how we can apply everything we've learned from that to help other businesses do it in the way that Lizzie describes and work with them to improve their impact. And if we can do that, then we as a community are amplifying uh, the impact we can have. And I think that's where we're able to bring our sense of purpose right through every aspect of what we do now, which is that we work with companies to improve their impact as, uh, and at the same time do the same for us. So I think that's a really helpful um, framework and, and has been a really useful guide in shaping our business in, in, in its purpose. So I'm going to articulate it in another way because I'm, I'm really, what I want to help, who I want to help is there's um, individuals in our community and people who follow our work who, who have this real strong sense or need for purpose, but maybe struggle with this, all right, how do I make money from it? How do I, maybe there's even a blocker around the making the money from it. And uh, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. The way I understand your business and how I am understanding is how it's evolved is there are organizations out there who want projects to be completed with the best teams. And there are people out there who are very talented, but don't necessarily want to work full time and don't want to necessarily work from one single place. And so you're able to provide value to these organizations say we can bring together the best teams, but the way we do it is by bringing all of these different people from different other world. And so you pay us money because you're going to get this project done, but we're doing it in a way that's aligned to who we are. In that process, yeah. we've learned about what that means in terms of community and the people who want to work and how they want to work and how organizations could work. And now you turn that knowledge into a service for other organizations who want to do a similar kind of thing. And that's creating, and people will pay you money for that. That is exactly that, yeah. Carlos. And and what I would say is all the Hoxbys want to work on the latter because everyone who is in Hoxby is connected to work style and wanting to show the world we can work this way. But also, we've grown the business through the former. So, for example, one of our clients is Unilever. And Unilever is a very conscious big business um, compared to many other big businesses. But you may not be working through Hoxby on purpose work at Unilever. It may be through marketing work in order for them to sell more cleaning products. But the way in which you're working is autonomous work style working. And therefore, that connects with your purpose. So even if the, the work itself isn't specifically in purpose, it's the way that you're delivering the work that can be really fulfilling from a purpose perspective. And as a freelancer, so everybody within the Hoxby community is freelance. So as a freelancer, you have uh, that challenge of balancing your income with your with your work and prioritizing the type of work that you do. So that's something that we try and help with, but it's with an understanding that increasingly lots of different types of work can be done on a self-employed basis than much more so than, than in the past, the gig economy and freelance economy is booming. Um, but the idea of a portfolio career is also changing. And so people can think about, I'm sure your audience is already thinking about this, but in terms of what are the different strings to my, to my, uh, self-employed bow well hoxby might be one of them and from hoxby i get uh, the opportunity to work on projects that can have a positive impact on the world and i also get the benefit of a community of 500 like-minded people globally who i can call upon for advice guidance or just talk about football with or whatever the topic of conversation might be so hoxby provides that for freelancer but a freelancer ultimately is looking at their uh, their income and their their work in a holistic sense and 
we provide a bit of help with this, but there's lots, there's an increasing number of services, as I'm sure you know, that, that will help freelancers with that. The thing that I always say is to think about yourself as a T-shaped person. So you have a deep set of skills that is the kind of up and down of the of the T, and then you have broad skills across the top. And you can monetize those for yourself as a self-employed person. You can command a higher day rate or an output rate for the things you're deeply skilled at, but you can also command a rate for the thing, your broad transferable skills might be project management or client handling, for example. You may not be able to command as much per hour or per day for that thing, but it can be a useful way of thinking about your portfolio, certainly in the start, where you might want, you might need to time to build up your depth. And so you might start with more of the breadth type work and gradually trade it for deep specialist work over time. And so those sorts of things and that sort of advice is out there uh, to help people with managing that work versus remuneration balance. But Hoxby and the way that Lizzie and I have created it as a community for freelancers is really uh, to be the destination of choice for those people who want to have that control for themselves over when and where they work and the type of work that they do. So what, what a message that I'm really feeling the need to communicate is that sometimes people can overcomplicate their businesses. They're trying to be really clever with the product or the service. And, and then, you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, because mm. on one level, well, it's not a ridiculously complicated business in terms of the transactions you're making. Like, got a project, need a team, we're going to supply a team. Yeah. But you've married it with this much deeper, meaningful way of doing it. And so the invitation I'm hoping, hearing you guys talk, is that actually... I can live really purposefully. I can really have, and I can produce a very good <laughs> product or service that provides value to people. And people will buy that because it makes sense. And I know exactly what I'm getting into. And I just love the way you do things. Yeah. Yeah. This is really only building on what you've said. But as a service business, the experience of our, of our people in Hoxby, of our Hoxbys, manifests into what the customer experience is as a service. So, the more that that is purposeful, impact-led and enjoyable, the better the service experience is that we deliver to our clients and they feel that and they get the benefit of it. I also got a quick question before we depart. Um, because like Carla said, the business sounds on the, sur on the, well, on the surface simple to get your head around. Um, and in some ways, you, you're putting your part on the line here with your values and your mission kind of gives it a really nice niche like us you know people gravitate to the the story and the values at the heart of this i suppose my question is more about from an employee employer point of view so attracting people at like amazon and these brands is there any resistance to that from their point of view like yeah that's great and you know from a noble point of view it sounds amazing but deep down we all know we need control and people need to be in the office does that have you has it ruled you out of um projects because of your stance i suppose yeah i mean we've been ruled out of projects partly we've ruled ourselves out because of our principles there are some organizations that have approached us that we simply won't work with because we have impact as our success measure and we feel they don't align with our values it's interesting our clients basically fall into two camps the clients that we've worked with for longer tend to work with us because we deliver the best work, not because of how we deliver it. Because in truth, when we mm. started and pre-pandemic, we didn't shout about the way we worked. We shouted about the brilliant output. And so I remember about six years ago, our client at Amazon saying to us, I don't care how you work. I work with you because you are the best at what you deliver. And I kind of, I think Alex and I are a bit like, oh, okay, that's a massive compliment. But also, is that is that what we want? Mm. And so I think then over time, we've become more open about our full set of values and about mm. being transparent about how we work and why it's important that they understand that. But our clients still fall into those two camps. The ones who work with us just because they think we they know we deliver the best work. And those clients that work with us because also they fundamentally really believe in what we're trying to do. And that's other B Corps and um, kind of organizations that are impact focused. I have to say that's where the two sides of the, of the service offer come from, which is if we're working with like-minded organizations on creating a 
uh, comms, comms campaign, for example, and doing it in a work style way, then one of the reasons for working with us is because they know that it's going to have a positive impact. It's creating work for people who would otherwise not work in the traditional nine to five system. It's it's having a positive impact on society simply through that. But then also, because they care about that, they want to learn about how they can do it for themselves, how they can improve their own ways of working to include those people in their own workforces. So it's a virtuous circle uh, for the organisations that that agree with our vision for the future of work. I wanted to tie this to another podcast I run called the Happy Pricing Podcast. And one of the things we talk about uh, why people buy you. And so some people just buy you for the solution, but also other people may buy you for the good feelings you create and the associations that they create by being one of your customers, you know, and you, a very simplistic thing is like, I will buy a name brand t-shirt, even though it costs 10 times more than another t-shirt because of what it says about me. So there's yeah. this feeling that I get is that I will work with Hoxby, not just because they do good work, because what it says about me as a business and how yeah. I wanted to, you are, I would say examples of anyone who's thinking about, all right, what, what does, you know, working and having a stance around impact or purpose mean in terms of value? So that was the thing. Hopefully that's uh, something that what I believe is what you're doing and, and what's uh, embodying that aspect. And and to, to see that is value as well. It isn't just about the, the, the solutions. So the, the course is a book, but please, if there's yeah. a, what would you like to tell the audience now and anyone who's listening on the podcast that um, would be of helpful to you, help to you? I'll start by just saying, um, the book is out there. It launched literally a couple of weeks ago. It's called Work Style, A Revolution for Wellbeing, Productivity and Society. And if you do one thing, buy the book, please. <laughs> um, but hopefully as a result, you might want to join join us at the Work Style Revolution. We, we are on uh, Instagram and we're on LinkedIn a lot, sharing stories of people who have implemented Workstyle for themselves, lots of tools, tips, guidance, and all that stuff is also available on workstylerevolution.com. So our primary mission is to make Workstyle the new norm, to replace the nine to five as the default uh, because of the benefit it can bring to individual wellbeing, productivity, and to society more broadly. So that's the, the, main, the main objective. Um, and to talk about work style, use the word work style. <laughs> Tell someone what your work style is or that you're creating a work style of your own. And the more that we talk about it, the more we will speak it into existence. And that is something that um, people find weird at first. Using a new word feels alien uh, and a bit hippie, but it is the, the way in which these much needed changes need to come about. I would add one more thing, um, which is that, um, well, two things. Firstly, we are always looking to recruit from those excluded groups, which I talked about earlier, older workers, carers, those with chronic illness, physical disabilities, mental health challenges, um, and neurodivergent. Actually, we're not recruiting for more parents at the moment because we over-index in parents and we're looking to build cognitive diversity. But those six groups, we are always looking for applications from those people and you go to hoxby.com forward slash apply, then the Hoxby Foundation route is open all the time for anyone in any of those groups. On our website at hoxby.com forward slash apply, we always have a list of um, skills needs that we have within the community. So once a quarter for one month of each quarter, so um, January, April, etc. We are open for general applications, which is from anyone, but the rest of the time um, we welcome applications from people with the skills that we specifically need and also from those excluded groups that I talked about earlier. Um, and then the second thing I would just say is if you know of any organisations that are looking in the long term to move to autonomous working, we would love to help them. And that's how we can have our impact on the world. Awesome. Before we close then, I'd I like to just have a, a way of just a, a, an opportunity for a reflection, something you're leaving our conversation with. I'm leaving feeling positive. I, I love conversations where it feels like we we have a meeting of minds and it's mm. felt like that today. The comments in the comment thread and also talking to you, Carlos and Lawrence, it, it feels like there's hope. And I think sometimes I feel like 
we are living in a, a very small part of the world and there are still so many people going into their offices every day and working in traditional ways. I think I'm uh, feeling a little bit humbled, I guess. Um, I think we always talk, I mean, we've been doing this for eight years or so now, and we often talk about purpose and how we use it in our day-to-day decision-making, but we don't really regularly reflect on when that's happening and the impact that that's having. And when we get to conversations like this and we explore it in a bit more detail, I'm reminded of that. And, you know, we we use a lot of principles to inform our decision-making and, and we stick to them over the years. But we rarely kind of look back at the the, the sum of that, uh, that consistency of thinking. And it's great to have been able to have the chat today and think about that, talk about it and realise um, that actually staying true to that over a sustained period of time has been incredibly rewarding for everybody who's been part of Hoxby and for Lizzie and I as its founders. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, leaving feeling fulfilled. Yeah, I'm feeling, well, I started off feeling grateful, feeling grateful leaving this, I think. Um, partly you guys sharing your story so openly, because I think that for us is a big, um, well, element of trust there, I think, to share that. But also I think it really gives weight to the work you're doing and how how emotive it is and how important it is really rather than just I think a lot of people shy away from telling their full story because it's not about me it's about the brand it's about the company so yeah that's testament to you guys um and just yeah hopeful that you know we work a lot with entrepreneurs and um you know some freelancers a lot of people who work on their own um but we don't really have any dealings with bigger companies and so it's nice to know that there's people out there that are trying to make a dent in those organizations too because yeah ultimately it's all people at the end of the day isn't it and it's nice to know that yeah what the world is changing even if you don't read about it in the the news so much i'm coming away from this conversation with lots of thoughts buzzing in my head um i think a key thing for me is the the way you talk about what you're trying to do at uh and also with work style when i think of revolution it's like chop off their heads start anew um, there is an aspect here of education, I think, what I'm hearing. And and not only just education, but also modeling. So education, not just by telling people what to do, but showing them how it can be done. Yes. Um, and I think that's a much more powerful way to shift minds and get people to appreciate a new way of doing things as opposed to just banging them over the head with a stick of saying, do this, this is the way to do it. So I'm really grateful for that. And the digital first thing is really interesting for me. I was curious because I I believe everyone is so immersed in digital and not realizing that they can use it so much in different ways in the way they work. Maybe Mm. they're just so sucked into consuming, whether it's Instagram and and other channels, Mm. when actually through using videos, like we were using Loom to communicate, using voice messages, using WhatsApp. I have my gardener sometimes like showing videos of what's going on. It's like different ways to then asynchronously communicate that allows us more flexibility in the way we work. And I feel that is a a nice seed for people to, to use rather than just totally changing their work. So actually, I can, I can work with more flexibility because of technology. There's a whole bit in the book about owning your technology. So rather than yeah. just being a passive like, recipient of those digital interfaces and those apps and things, but actually taking control of it and owning it and saying, I'm going to turn my notifications off here, here and here, and I'm going to you know, use it my way is a really important and an empowering part of having a great work style. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. To hear more inspiring conversations like this, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for the Happy Entrepreneur. In March, we'll be launching Tribe 7 of our Vision 2020 program. If you're at a point in your career or entrepreneurial journey where you're asking yourself, what next? and you need the clarity and confidence to make some bold decisions about a new direction, then this program is for you. We'll help you define what success really means to you, understand the impact that is yours to make, make sure your mission is both energetically and financially sustainable, and also learn how to build a supportive community around yourself. We want people who are driven to do good in the world and are tired of trying to do it on their own. We share the key lessons we've learned 
while building the Happy Startup School and pivoting from the stressful peaks and troughs of agency life to a life of freedom, adventure, service and connection. We value learning, play and friendship and we'd like to help you discover the values and the work that align more to who you are. Don't struggle alone and don't get sidetracked by other people's measures of success. Discover for yourself what it means to create effortless impact. To apply for the next tribe, go to vision.happystartups.co. We look forward to hearing from you.